0: What does it mean Messiah matters It means apart from him, we can do nothing. It means he is the way, the truth, and the life.
1: Yeshua is the only way of salvation. He is everything. We have to have the Tanakh to know the Messiah. But we have to have the
0: Messiah to know the Tanakh. Without Messiah, we have nothing.
1: Basically, it's all about the Messiah. It's Wednesday, April 4th, 2018. This is Messiah Matters number two one two. Having plagues literally rain down on my head. My name is Caleb Heg, And with me, a man so connected, he's hooking people up with Japanese saters. Rob Van Hoff, what up, Rob? How's it going, brother?
0: Shalom. Caleb, I think as I as I hinted before, the ants that are falling on you. Yes. Consider that a plague. I'm just yeah, consider that a plague because you did you did not have halakhic purity in your Passover celebration at Thank your house. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Yes. Uh, Rob is referring specifically to an email that we will get to later. Um it looks like my levels are a little bit low compared to Rob's. Can someone Check in the chat one, two, Can someone in the chat room let me know if I should bring Rob down or myself up? That would be nice. Um So yeah, how was uh how was your Passover, man?
0: Good, good. I I love I love the season. Uh, of course, this is a, a, we have the Pesach, then we have the Matzot, and then we have the counting of the Omer and and Shavuot, all, all hooked together. Of course, the chronology problem comes up again. A couple a couple different chronology problems. So this is like predictable discussion. Chronology of of Yeshua's passion. Okay. And count when to start counting the Omer. Right. These are predictable chronology discussions for this time of year.
1: Well, they always happen, right?
0: Yeah. So, but it seems like this time of year, it's a hotter, it's more in, on the front burner. People are upset about it, man. Okay. I, brought, I think today we're, we're talking a little bit about one of the chronologies today.
1: Okay. I brought myself up and I brought uh, uh, Rob down a little bit in the, in the audio. Do I still need to come up? The chat room is uh, is telling me all about my levels, which is good.
0: Good, thank you, peeps.
1: Peeps. Yeah, I messed with my board, so now everything's off. I can I can kind of see that I'm down low. Okay, um, so basically, it's the middle of Passover, and and technically speaking, this is the uh, this is the Passover special week. Now, last year we uh, we did something that was wonderful, but at the same time, kind of stupid. We, we set the bar so high that we'll never be able to reach it again. Um, in other words, the show was so good uh, for a Passover special that why even have a pe- Passover special now, right? I mean, that's how good last year's Last past, week? Last, oh, year, last year. Last year. We had Dr. Brant Petrie as a guest uh, come onto our show and discuss the, the, the chronology of the Passion, and uh, it was fantastic. By the way, if people do not understand the reference that I was making earlier, the plague that's raining down on me, they're ants, that are literally coming out of my light fixture above me, and they keep falling on me. So if you see me like whack myself throughout this broadcast, that's exactly why. It's, <laughs> it's very inor- nervous. It's nervous not sleep, a nervous sleep. tick. There's ants falling on me. Um, okay, it's not a
0: tick. It's an ant. <laughs> that's
1: right. But da, 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 okay. Before we get uh, into all this, because we got, we do have. I mean, I think we got an okay show. Prepared for everyone. I was kind. I, of, so. I was freaking out on Monday because I didn't. I was like, "What in the world are we going to talk about?" It's not going to, you know, beat a dead horse. You know, we've talked I'm about the passion chronology stuff. for the for the past three years straight. So this is the fourth year that we've done something on Passover, and uh, it's going to be good. But before we uh, before we get into it, let me just say that uh, this show Messiah Matters. Is brought to you by. We have several sponsors. We have Kava Messianic Radio. Kava Messianic Radio is a great source of all sorts of music. Uh, you can set your own playlist and choose it. It's like it's like Pandora on steroids, and uh, it's all Messianic music. They got all sorts of great stuff. If you like, you know. Um, uh, The Sons of Horak uh, Then put that in your list You can listen to them all day long It's fantastic What's even better is that Chava Messianic Radio Oh hang on just a sec By the way I have kickers for this today So Chava Messianic Radio There you go while I'm talking about it um, Chava Messianic Radio now has an app Which you can download on your smartphone If you have an iPhone, Android Or a Windows smartphone uh, And now you can take it with you everywhere you go So there's really no excuse why you wouldn't do that. And uh, if you're on a computer, then what you can do is you can go to MessianicRadio.com. That's right, MessianicRadio.com. And that's where you will find Chava Messianic Radio. And, of course, uh, as always, the Messiah Matters... What happened? There we go. TorahResource.com. Torah Resource uh, exists to provide biblically-based education for disciples of Yeshua and we do that all around the world, Um, you can find all sorts of great resources no matter what it is, if you're counting the Omer right now, or if you want to count the Omer, I would suggest going to tour We have all sorts of resources right there on the, uh, on the homepage. In fact, you can download uh, a free chart that is really fun. It's, it's just a, it just yeah. has 50, you know, counts 50, but uh, my children and I, every night we sit down, we say the blessing, which you can also find on uh tour resource. We say the blessing. And then one of the kids that we trade off every night gets to market either with a sticker or with their favorite color or whatever they want Want to do, and uh, so it's been it's been good, and uh, yeah. So please check out TorahResource.com, and also if you want the show notes, I I went above and beyond today uh, with the show notes. At least I think I did. I put in uh, a a beautiful picture of one of our listeners sent in a picture of his BBLT, bacon a beef bacon lettuce and tomato sandwich on matzah, Um, and uh, so that's in the show notes. And also I put pictures of uh, my my house. For on Friday, we roasted an entire lamb, Argentinian style. Uh, my my buddy Ben from down the street got it my got to my house at nine o'clock. He also made uh, we made uh, homemade matzah. Uh, it was it was fantastic. Anyway, there's pictures. What's
0: Argentinian of- style? Mean? So I forget is there what it's called. Seasonings on
1: there? Well, no. What they do is they 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 fillet out the entire lamb like this, and they put yeah, it I on. Saw th- the, I saw the yeah, oh, I saw the picture. Yeah. yeah. So that's the, that's how they do it, and then oh, they the just s- the style is how how it's- how it's roasted
0: right well, uh yeah okay how it's set up and then okay.
1: they put a chimichurri on it excellent man what's Absolutely. that chimichurri is like a, a a sauce i like it's uh herbs and yeah it sounds like comets dude it's it's awesome <laughs> it is awesome anyway okay and then of course uh the other uh sponsor of this show and and perhaps the most important sponsor of this show is our listeners uh, this show Absolutely. is sustained not only through the people who listen to it, but th- through the people who uh, like to help us uh, by, by supporting us. If you'd like to support this show, you can do it for as little as $5 a month. Uh, that's right. For the price of a latte, you could uh, be a part of each episode that Messiah Matters puts out. Uh, a latte a month, 5 bucks a month. Go to TorahResource.com. Hover over radio in the toolbar. And then click on the Messiah Matters. Uh, when it drops down, there's a Messiah Matters button. On that page, you can find all sorts of stuff. You can sign up for our show notes, which I would suggest you do. And then also you can uh, become a monthly supporter for $5 a month. You can find all that right there uh, on that page. Okay. Um, with that said, we did get a... Uh, a. a um with my computer here, but I keep freezing up, so I apologize to everyone. Uh, give us give us a call on our comment line, 253-465-3205. Send us emails, chag at TorahResource.com, chag at com. Okay, with all that said, we got a, a message today from Evelyn, who is in the chat room, by the way. And uh, so this is what Evelyn's question is. I edit it, edited it just a little bit. Here you go.
0: I have a question uh, as coming out of... Um, traditional Christianity, if there's no longer a law which we know is false, then what is the point of having a high priest? Because I've always been raised with, you know, Yeshua as our high priest and hearing it constantly, but then hearing that the law is no more, so what is the point of having a high priest if there's no law to dictate the need for a high priest?
1: Okay, so this is a good question. It, wow yeah excellent it's the, thank you the yeah thank you evelyn for the question and if you have a question like this once again i would uh invite you to call our comment line and uh, leave us a these message These are
0: dangerous questions <laughs> yeah right i mean like 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 she points out there are certain questions that are just they're childlike questions right they're just they're the questions obvious. That, they're obvious that, questions they're, yeah and a child would see ask these questions a child who's engaged in reading the text taking it seriously thinking about reflecting on it and then would ask um this kind of question and it's the question like uh wait a minute you're not supposed to ask that hey
1: hey no questions um so uh, basically uh, i can tell you what i think the mainstream christian pastor would say and that is that the law is not actually done away with The, the law is, uh, is, is spiritualized. In other words, uh, I keep a Sabbath, but I keep the Sabbath in my heart. I rest in Yeshua. Um, purity is in the heart. It's no longer in food. Um, festivals are, are neither here nor there. We can keep whatever we want. And in the same way, the physical temple that was here on earth was just a physical representation of the true temple that is going on in the heavens. And um, the real high priest is Yeshua, who does the work, the ongoing continued work, as as Hebrews says. Baruch Hashem for that, right? And I, I was reminded of this constantly um, through, uh, through our Passover Seder, that uh, the high priest, for us as believers, is actually doing work. He is actually putting the blood of his blood on the altar in the heavenly place. And so... I think the the thought from a Christian standpoint, and this has been argued to me before, this is why I, I believe that this is a, a standard Christian uh, view of this, is that once the temple, that basically Yeshua comes, he dies on the cross, he does away with the law, and um, he, he's, now all this is instituted in the heavens, and uh, this is why the temple was destroyed, is because there's something better, and uh, the temple is just a shadow of what was going on. The big problem with this view and jump in here anytime uh Rob is that this would suggest that the heavenly temple was not uh around or was not being utilized before Christ came and died on the cross. And this is I mean we've talked about this at length in the new covenant uh not being time bound. In other words, people were not saved differently before the messiah died on the cross everyone has been uh, everyone who is saved has been saved by the blood of the messiah and the lamb that was that was slain from the foundations of the world right so the blood being uh, applied to the altar in the heavenly places has been done forever in perpetuity both ways right in eternity both ways and so uh, the idea that we needed a, a physical high priest before that now granted i i should quickly say it is obviously true that the high priest here on earth was nothing more than a representation and a shadow of the greater thing, which is the Messiah Yeshua uh, and being our high priest. And interestingly enough, uh, when the Messiah comes, it seems like in the millennial reign, the Messiah comes and and he takes over as high priest in the physical temple. So there is a physical high priest again, it's just Yeshua, Mm -hmm. But
0: there are priests, right? Well, anything to say on that? This It, it gets into... I, no, I, I'm tracking. It gets into the problem of... And we were talking about this in our Greek class, reading in Romans uh, 7, this last quarter, <clears throat> at Torah Resource Institute. Yes. Uh, second year Greek, reading Romans 7, and this notion of sarki, uh, sarkinos, fleshiness versus um pneumaticas, which is spiritual. And there's a tendency, I think in it could be in Western enlightenment thought or whatever. I don't know. Uh, of some maybe no, but it's before what we call the Enlightenment. Anyway, the idea of flesh bad, it's almost a, a Gnostic kind of idea. Flesh bad, spirit good. Or no, I don't mean to say flesh, because Paul uses flesh metaphorically, but that physicality bad. Right. Like the physical... So, like you're talking about the Shabbat command. Oh, I keep it spiritually, and that's where the value is, and it has no physical value. Right? There's no physicality to the Shabbat. And that's what we need to... now those of who've studied philosophy might be able to pinpoint the history of this idea of Aristotle
1: of, it comes from Aristotle
0: yeah this the separation of of physicality being somehow less than or bad but we know that can't be true from the scriptures yeshua it says the word became flesh and he was full of grace and truth right yeshua yeshua still is physical as a matter of fact even his resurrected body has the scars we know that right so we know that when Paul talks about being spiritual, he doesn't mean non-physical, right? Okay, so I think there's there's something to be said that this uh, idea is sneaking in and affecting theologians, thinking, oh, oh, the you know, outward ceremonial observances are really have no value because they're physical. But God, God created us, like, you know, to be physical, right? Our uh, physicality is a part of our nature. It's not the whole of our nature, but right. physicality is a part of it. And, and the distinction back to the priesthood and that wonderful question by Evelyn is that Yeshua, and this is why, you know, the epistle to the Hebrews is, is such a wonderful text. I know some have suggested, God forbid, that it be taken out of the Bible, but... Uh, Tim Hague has a two-volume commentary that goes verse by verse, really well done, um, that Jeremiah 31, right? And this is the longest quote from Tanakh in the apostolic writings. So right. so in, in Hebrews chapter 8, we have an extensive quote of Jeremiah 31. That's the longest continual quote. Uh, citation of a Tanakh text in, in the Apostolic writings and it's right. And then it's reiterated a, a poor, so I think it's in chapter 10. He reiterates another chunk of the, of the same text uh, from Jeremiah. But the idea is not that the Torah is different, right? It's not the Torah that's changed. It's a, it's a covenant that is different. And the covenant, one of the key pieces of the covenant is the transferal of, of God's Torah from being external to internal and, mm-hmm. The and then the confession of real sin and the forgiveness of real sin, right? And and the why is that important? Because the and this is in the epistle. The the sons of Aaron could not minister forever; they were limited by the same. Um, uh, they were they were uh, stained by the same tradition of you know of sin. sin. Yeah. They had offspring. You might have a really great high priest who loves God and then his son comes up after him and doesn't really care, you know, and they're the ones who they're leading the teaching of the Torah, right? Which is brings people to repentance. Right. And we know that, um, that they cannot see the heart of, of the people coming to them. They can, you know, when people repent, that's, they can see that is good fruit and they can say, okay, so here's the sin offering, here's the restoration procedure, Baruch Hashem. But they, they're not going to hit 100%. Yeshua hits 100%. Yeshua right. can see your heart. So he's a high priest who not only can see right to the core. He knows everything. So there's no right. pulling a, a wool over his eyes. But he lives forever to intercede for his own. He's never going to – he's not going to like – like there's not a clock ticking on his uh, – you know, on your benefit from his high priesthood. So anyway, th- we could do a whole show on this. Great question. So, I don't know, know if I, we even touched we, her answer yeah. what she was looking for.
1: Before, before I start getting tons of emails, yes, I I understand that, that Plato is the great influence of Western thought, Platonic thought, okay, um, is, is the great influence, of, and even within Christianity. Is Plato the one then that separates the physicality? So... so there's two, so uh, Plato, yeah. It so Pla- Plato does separate the physicality, and this is really where Gnosticism rises. However, uh, Aristotle is really a huge influence into the into the Church itself, as Plato is too. But um, and of course, my mind instantly goes to the Eucharist, and so the uh, the idea and the theology of transubstantiation that Christ is actually present. In the um, Eucharist uh, is an Aristotle uh, thought. In other words, the bread, the bread and wine or juice, the essence of it is Christ. Its its essence is Christ, or is it the other way around? Its essence is bread, but it's fully Christ. I think its essence is Christ. Anyway, this is this is uh, uh, the the physicality of of Christ in the Eucharist comes from Arist- Aristotle uh, and, and his his uh, thoughts platonic thought is also where we get a lot of the Gnostic ideas. And this is really where um, it's, you know, it's in the heart. It's what you feel. It's what, you know, it's what's inside of you. It's not, uh, it's not, you know, it's not the physical thing that we see. Anyway, still get ants all over me. I'm sorry, everyone. Ants raining down on top of me. Okay, I hope that that answered uh, the question. Before we go on, let's do a book review. It is my turn. And uh, I don't know if I've actually recommended this before or not. I may have. And if so, I apologize. This uh, book has been excellent during the Passover season. And uh, for anyone who's interested in uh, uh, studies uh, in Exodus, and specifically the plagues and the Exodus story, um, I would highly recommend this book. It's uh, Studies in Exodus, Moses and the Gods of Egypt by John J. Davis. This book uh, was basically... The uh, the main source that I used for my for my um, my series that I've done, what really happened in Egypt, talking about the plagues, and um, it is really fantastic. He goes through uh, different gods uh, that were worshipped in Egypt. He goes through uh, how the plagues might have been seen. He goes through uh, different archaeological facts. Um, it's just a, a really stellar book and. You know, if you're not really into ex- the Exodus studies and those kind of things, then I would say maybe this is a borrow. Maybe uh, find it at a library or, or uh, you know, find somebody who has it. Um, you know, pick it up for a buck from your, for, from your used bookstore or something yeah, like that. Yeah, at, look
0: at – you can always look online for used copies. Some people don't like to buy used books. However, I,
1: but, however, I should say if you do uh, – you know, if you really like uh, this field of study, I think it's a must – uh, it, it, it's really been a, a great book to have on the shelf, and I keep going back to it. That's that's always the the time tested truth of a book, whether or not you you know if you read it once, put it down and never pick it up again. Um, obviously, man, I gotta say we got a really low showing in our chat room today. That's okay. The people that are in there are, are good, good the good the the main core, the main core of people are there. Okay, let's move on. Now here's the question: Do we go on to our main topic? I have a feeling that the email. Uh, Rob could could spend an hour uh, just on the email itself. Should we do that last? Maybe we should go to our main topic now. Because I feel like our main topic can actually go quite quick. Sure. Okay, let's do it. Okay. Actually, while I... Well, they're really... They're two emails, right? Is that right? Pardon me. Yes, they are. Give me just a second. I want to open this up real quick because I want to find... One of our listeners, PJ, sent us um, this article. And it's in your show notes for those who are interested. It is called Centuries Old Documents Show Evidence for a Wednesday Crucifixion. Um, And I'll read – it's actually – pardon me. It's actually a very uh, short article. It's by Mario Segli. Now, this this is on a site called – Oh, man, what is it? Something today. Uh, anyway, that, basically, um, this site is one of the culprits who has the, uh, you know, uh, the pictures of Yeshua dying on like a Wednesday, Thursday, and then, uh, and then uh, raising on a Sunday, um, which is simply, it cannot be worked out that way in the biblical text. I'm sorry, people, it just can't. Um, there is an easy way to work it out, but no one wants to listen, except for a few of, of the people. Um, let's, let's read this says, do you know, there is additional historical evidence for a Wednesday crucifixion, although it was a minority position in the early centuries of Christianity and ran against the prevailing teaching of the church in Rome. Some early historical documents, nonetheless, acknowledge a Tuesday night Passover, a Wednesday afternoon crucifixion and a Saturday sunset resurrection. Around the year 200, a document purporting to pass on apostolic instruction called the Didascalia Apostolorum mentions that the last Passover of Jesus Christ and his disciples was on a Tuesday night. It should be noted that the timing mentioned in the document corresponds to the biblical method of counting time that is, the week started with Sunday as the first day and the days began at sunset. This document states. For when we had eaten the Passover on the third day of the week at evening, that's Tuesday evening, we went forth to the Mount of Olives. And in the night they seized our Lord Jesus. And the next day, which was the fourth of the week, Wednesday, he remained in ward in the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. Okay. Well, I want to read one more one more little thing here. Paradoxically, the text goes on to mention that Jesus was crucified on Friday, showing great confusion about the dates. For the biblical account clearly states that Christ was crucified on the day following that Passover meal. This is true. He's right about that. In other words, the biblical accounts and this I put uh, 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 biblical passages. Uh, referenced in your show notes you can look those up yourself but there's no break within the within the narrative he says nonetheless the document demonstrates that passover was then understood by some to have been on Tuesday evening which would place the crucifixion on the next day Wednesday um the biggest problem with this uh w- with what this person has said is that they did not keep reading in the Didascalea apostolorum let's go to it and this also, I put, huh, uh, for those who receive our show notes, this is a plug for our show notes. I put a link to the entire Didascalia Apostolorum in your show notes. So if you want to go check it out, you can. Um, let me find my show notes here. Let's let's read real quick what, uh, the, the whole passage of what this person is saying. Um, this person is in uh, chapter 20. I'll start in verse 13. And uh, it says, And Judas came with the scribes and with the priests of the people, and betrayed our Lord Jesus. Now this was done on the fourth day of the week, for when we had eaten the Passover on the third day of the week at even at, uh, at even we, uh, at evening I think it should be we went forth to the Mount of Olives, and in the night they seized our Lord Jesus, and the next day, which was the fourth of the week. He remained in ward in the house of Caiaphas, the high priest, and on the same day the chiefs of the people were assembled and took counsel against him. Maybe we should stop real quick and talk a little bit about the history of the Dascalea Apostolorum. This is a uh, three. Uh, this comes around about uh, middle of the third century,
0: we think probably f- well yeah we don't have any manuscripts that old right it's not it is thought to have been originally composed in greek and then translated into syriac and to latin right and i think our oldest manuscripts are of all the are syriac are the oldest of all but they're still medieval I, I, or even and, later and, i don't and even know
1: what's interesting about the um the text that we do have is that the syriac differs substantially from the latin in other words, the Latin doesn't even contain this part. The Latin manuscripts contain none of what I'm reading now. Right. Only so we the Syriac. We, we does.
0: just don't know. There's a yeah. There's a lot of unknown, and there's a lot of variants, and so.
1: Well, and the other thing is, is that we have something super light here. What what I think is going on at this point is, um, you have you have a misunderstanding of. Well, this is a very long conversation, but you have a misunderstanding. Oh, here, like,
0: it, 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 can I make one point real sure. quick? Sure. We know <clears throat> because earlier than this, we had the the uh, Tatians via Tesseron, right? Right. Who, <clears throat> which also doesn't didn't survive. But the idea is someone who's trying to retell the gospel stories in a way. I love yourself, Sorry. <laughs> answer like. Jump now, go. I know, right? Um, you know, trying to basically take the Gospels and then retell the story in a way they think is going to make sense of it for their readers, right? So we have this, other people doing this kind of thing. Um, and, it, of course, it's not Scripture. It's, you, it's well, a, you they, have a— They cite Scripture. Right. You have a
1: split in the church already, and the, the split is between the Jerusalem church and the Roman church. The Jerusalem church, in, and this is in the 2nd century, in the 2nd century the Jerusalem church is still celebrating Passover. The Roman church says, don't do that. We're freed from the law. Please do not be celebrating like the Jews. Now this sounds, this so- sounds anti-Semitic. I don't actually think it is anti-Semitic. I think it's anti-Jewish, but it's not anti-Semitic. That sounds like a, 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 a fine line, which maybe it is yeah, a fine they weren't, line.
0: Yeah, the believers were not self-hating Jews.
1: Right. There There were mm-hmm. Jews that were converting to Christianity, and if you converted to Christianity, they didn't care if you were Italian, um, they didn't care if you were French, they didn't care if you were Jewish, they didn't care what you were. If you come to Christ, you come to Christ, that's great. They were anti-Jewish because they said that the Jews rejected the, the Christ. Um, with with all that said, there becomes this uh, this tension in the church, and um, Polycarp is, is citing John and, and so on and so forth. And by this point, people are using the Gospels to try to make their own theology as opposed to letting the Scriptures speak for themselves. And really, I think by the third century, you, people are not—they don't know how to line up the synoptics with John. And I think that this is an attempt to do so. With that said, let's keep going. So now that you have a little bit of history of what this, this document is, when it was— And, uh, you know, the manuscript history, let's keep going. And on the next day again, which was the fifth of the week, they brought him to Pilate, the governor, and he remained again in ward with Pilate the night after the fifth day of the week. But when it drew on towards day on Friday, they accused him, uh, much before Pilate and they could show nothing that was true, but gave false witness against him. And they asked him of Pilate to be put to death and they crucified him on the same Friday. So basically, what this document seems to be saying is that the Passover Seder was was on Tuesday, and that he was arrested on Tuesday night. In Tuesday night, during the night, Wednesday, Thursday, he was being tried. Pilate, Caiaphas, all these things, and then finally on Friday, Pilate puts him to death. This is what uh, the Didascalia Apostolorum is uh, putting forth here. However, the person who wrote this this article. Forgot to keep reading, and this is a very important thing to do when you are um, when you're reading these kind of historical documents, because this uh, document says specifically. If we go down to verse seventeen, we find this. But by reason of the multitudes of all all the people, from very from every city and from all the villages who were coming up to the temple to keep Passover in Jerusalem, the priests and the elders took counsel and commanded and appointed that they should keep the festival straight away that they might seize him without disturbance for the inhabitants of Jerusalem were engaged with the sacrifice and the eating of the Passover. And moreover, all the people that were without, uh, that were without were not yet come for they had deceived them as to the days that they might be convinc- convicted before God of erring utterly in all things. Therefore they anticipated the Passover by three days and kept it on the 11th of the moon on the third day of the week. For they said, because the whole people is gone astray after him, now that we have an occasion, let us seize him. And then when all the people are come, let us put him to death before all, that this may be known openly and all the people may turn back from after him. So the same document that this person is using as historical fact that Yeshua's last supper was on a Tuesday, says that they moved it by three days, which by the way, would never happen. The Pharisees couldn't do that. The Sadducees couldn't do it either. There would have been riots by the people. You can't just say, oh, Passover's gonna be three days early. Let's start sacrificing the lamb. It doesn't work like, like now. that. Like now, let's do, do it now. now. Yeah, you can't well, do that. Yeah. That that's that's not the way that the Passover sacrifice you know, there was somebody uh from from a uh from a different website, a different ministry, who tried to say that uh Yeshua's uh, I saw this this week. It was just absolutely ridiculous. I tried to say that Yeshua's disciples sacrificed after the sunset on the thirteenth, making it the, the beginning of the fourteenth. They said they took they sacrificed the lamb in the temple as the Hagigah sacrifice, and this is where the time discrepancy comes. Yeshua and his disciples ate on that night, and everybody else ate the night before, but it was still the Passover because it was still technically the fourteenth. This is ridiculous for multiple reasons, but first of all, the Hagigah had to be completely burned up. There was nothing left of it. The priests didn't get any. The people didn't get any. The Haggigah was gone. And to think that, that Yeshua and his disciples came into the temple uh, during a time that was not sanctioned to slaughter the Passover lamb, handed the lamb to the priest, said, please slaughter this for us. The priest slaughters it, and then they say, now give it back to us so we can take it out of the temple, is absolutely ridiculous. The temple did not act as your personal butcher, and to think that the that the Sadducees would have allowed you to take out a, a sacrifice because you were on a different calendar, there is absolutely no evidence whatsoever for such a a theory. Um, it, it's just not true. Anyway, uh, I think the the main point is that this this document of its own accord says that the uh, that the High priest changed Passover by three days. If you're gonna, if, I love how people can just pick out little things from a document, and uh, you know all the rest of the surrounding things that 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 prove them wrong uh, are are thrown out. This is simply not yeah. true. It's just simply not true. Anything else on
0: this? No, I guess it's you know I, there is a tendency to look you know. Uh, uh, to other sources, right? We want to look outside the scripture to try to help understand historical um, situation to help better understand scripture. So Sometimes general, that's good. That's, Sometimes in, yeah, that's good. In, in general, that's that's a good thing. But the question of method, you, when you when you take that approach, you enter into a uh, an area where you're dealing with multiple languages. You know, um, manuscript histories, um, agendas from people at different times and places. And if you get any of these things wrong, it's gonna it it's gonna to your detriment. We're talking
1: we're talking about a document that came about 300 years after you sh- the events that it's talking about. That's like me writing about uh, America before it was even America in 17. 17- uh, you know, 17, 18, me writing a book about that and not having the Internet, not having, you know, ha- not having the inf- information that I have, not having you Google. You go
0: interview people who are old, whose right. great-great-grandparents told them, you know, they, yeah.
1: Right, exactly. And it's like me trying to write a book like that and then, and then putting it forward as if uh, I have all this knowledge of it. It, it. The same thing, the exact same thing happens with the Mishnah. The, idea, oh, totally. that the, yeah, the, the right. idea that the Mishnah can be read back into the first century is once again something that is constantly uh, done today, even by scholars. Uh, however, that's changing. Here's,
0: here, okay, here's just a, a lesson from flesh and blood, right? You know, it's, it's always good to do that. But when my family, met, what was it, 2014? So a few years back, we had the privilege to go to the East Coast and rent a car and drove up and, and um, attended a wedding and... We went up to uh, Charlottesville, Virginia, and went to Monticello, which is where Thomas Jefferson's, uh, you know, the, on, I don't know if it's still on the back of a nickel, but Monticello, beautiful grounds and garden and, and amazing architecture, of course. And he was a, he was the main author of the Declaration of Independence, the uh, Virginia what Statute on Religious Freedom, etc. Real smart guy. And kind of a Renaissance guy. Um, anyway, what why am I talking about this? Because today, if you look at the I don't know if it's called the Jefferson Historical Society. Anyway, they're trying to understand his relationship with, I think it was Sally Hemings, who was a lady who was one of his slaves. Did they have children? And so that these are top notch historians. They have all his documentation. Right. They you know, they have all these things. They have we're close to the situation, Caleb, like you're talking about, just by you know, a couple years. hundred years yeah. and then they have family oral traditions within different streams of people who 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 are descendants of some of his slaves right and some other right and they take all this into consideration right so they have way more data than we have for like the Mishnah and they still come up and they have two basic cl- pictures that emerge and exactly. what's really what i appreciated about the this historical society is that they published the main findings and then they publish the counter and they they don't have enough information to make a final decision right and they say wow there are two different ways of, of looking at this data and they are equally they seem equally valid and they just come they say well here we're just trying to preserve what we have right but we but some points we just don't know for sure and i That's that's you know if that's something that's so close and we have so much I mean you still still physically have the house right you still physically have all his correspondence and all this kind of stuff and just a few you know how many generations of of family oral history you know when you go back here when we're dealing with things that the manuscript tradition is just uh, suspect and late. Right? right, our earliest Mishnah text is from the year 1000, basically. Okay, mm-hmm. that's how many centuries, right? I mean, um, if we if we were trying to build Thomas, Je- that would be like, yeah, with take the internet away, take electronics away, take combustion engine away, and the printing press, and we. Yeah, And someone has a, a memoir of Thomas Jefferson that, the, that is a thousand years away from it. How, how can we say that this actually represents Thomas Jefferson's words, you know? Uh, anyway, it just thinking that if you just step outside the biblical realm and think of it in, in that kind of normal terms, um, we have to appreciate the, the difficulties and all the things involved. So right. it's, it is good when done with, with a sound Method. Excellent. Okay.
1: We we are coming down to, we have about 20 minutes of. We really chewed up
0: time, didn't we? Within an hour. Should we read this? Should
1: we read the the email we got? Oh, man. So we got this on our Facebook page. And yes, uh, by the way, uh, don't forget if you have questions or or comments, go ahead and uh, give us a call 253 465 3205. And then also email us. It is. Tora Resource... Uh, I'm sorry, that's that's not my email address, that's our website. Um, let's try this one. Uh, Hag at TorahResource.com. There you go. Okay. Um, and we love hearing from everybody. Okay. We got this comment. We have to start two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, I made a comment uh, that I retracted last week. And the comment was, we shouldn't have um, unbelievers at our Passover table. And I said that because I was uh, taking 1 Corinthians 11 as a, as Paul writing about the Passover meal (coughs) within the diaspora, excuse me. And um, one of my friends, and ultimately this comes down to, I think this comes down to um, a phrase, you know, ask your local rabbi. In other words, um, if you are part of a congregation, which you should be, if if, if you're a believer, you should try to be a part of a congregation one way or another. If it's just a another family that you're meeting with on Shabbat or whether or not it's a full-blown congregation you should try to be in community um, so each community has their own interpretations and whatnot of scripture and uh, there are some things that are hard and fast but there are other things that are are uh, you know uh, need some interpretation and essentially community rule and I think that this might fall under one of them how we're going to interpret what Paul says but my buddy at uh, the congregation I go to brought up the point he said what are you talking about um, you know, uh, you're you're basically uh, separating husbands and wives here. What if a wife ha- is a believer and her husband is not, and she wants to come to a Passover seder? He said the passage itself says, "Examine your own heart." It doesn't say examine someone else's heart. And I I thought he was I. That's an excellent point. Good point. And um, because we can't see back to the priesthood thing, right? We can't
0: see someone else's heart, uh, right?
1: So last week, I retracted. I brought up all this information and uh, said, you know what? My buddy's right on this. It says examine your own heart. It doesn't say examine someone else's heart. And this is the uh, book-long uh, comment that was written <laughs> on our Facebook page um, by someone named Moshe. Moshe says, I'm confused. This, by the way, the opening to this shows a lot. He says, I'm confused. When did we start using the New Testament as though it were Torah? I know Christians do that, but when did we start back on the path we once left? Okay, first of all, I don't know who you are or what path you left. I have never given up on the 66 book canon. The apostolic scriptures are just as valid as the Torah. The Torah is just as valid as the apostolic scriptures. This is exactly why... It is my uh, belief that, the, that all of the scripture has to align with each other. It's God-breathed. All of it. All 66 books. So the idea that, that we as messianics or as Hebrew rooters or whatever you want to call uh, the walk of Torah have given up on the core doctrines of our faith is ridiculous. And I reject it outright. I never left the 66 book. I never left the Word of God. I'm not now just coming back to the Word of God. The Word of God is exactly that, the Word of God, and we rest our faith on the 66 book canon. And if you don't, sir, that is up to you. But you are wrong. That's all there is to it. He goes on, an alien living among you who wants to sell. And now he's going to uh, he's going to quote Exodus 12:48 through 49, which is also, I mean, telling. Because he gets it completely wrong. An alien living among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover, and the Hebrew here actually says, "Do the Passover," must have all the males in the in his household circumcised. Then he may take part like one born in the land. No uncircumcised male may eat of it. The same law applies to the native born and to the alien living among you. This okay. Let's stop right here. This this is going to get me riled up because this is just this email this comment is just so off track it's it's vexing that people even believe this kind of thing first of all what is exodus 1248 through 49 talking about it's talking about eating the passover sacrifice it's talking about coming and sacrificing
0: right it's, yeah so that's that's a core point here yeah to eat it that the antecedent there is definitely the Passover the sacrifice. Zevah, yeah. The, the Passover sac- that sacrifice. Yeah. Right. Um, it's not talking about unleavened bread. It's not talking about bitter herbs. And it's not talking about a Passover Seder. It's
1: just not. It's talking about the sacrifice that you do in the temple. And I'm that's right. That's I'm, right. I might be reading into this. We'll get we'll get to the rest of his email or the, well, the rest of his seder,
0: comment. The Seder, yeah, because we gotta get the, there's a whole history that we want to well, maybe we should finish the email. Is this long? I mean, it's a... Okay,
1: well, um, but I, uh, maybe I'm reading into this, but I, I get the uh, distinct feeling that this person believes that they are sacrificing a lamb in their yard and uh, that this counts as the Passover sacrifice. Well, t-
0: he, there, there's a comment there about holiness in the home and that right. God is going to curse people who... Okay, let's, <laughs> let's read it. Let's read it. And that that's what my joke was about the ants falling on Caleb. Right that's around. right. That's right. I'm under a
1: plague. Okay, he goes on. Further, we have an idea from Ezekiel 44 that makes the distinction that both flesh and heart must be s- circumcised before entering the temple.
0: The no pas- dispute? Yeah, yeah no not? dispute I mean,
1: there. The Passover is, in fact, a sacrificial meal that is adopted into our homes as the earthly temple. Wow, did you see that? One just no. I'm getting dive-bombed over here. We don't gracious. want you to. That, I know.
0: Hasatan doesn't want you to tell what you're going to tell. <laughs> okay
1: sorry okay um the passover is in fact a sacrificial meal that is adopted into our homes where does the torah see now this where does the torah say that
0: where does the torah say that just because right. the first He's already building off an innovation right an innovation of eating passover in your own homes would never happen I mean, even the Diaspora, what we were talking about in the Diaspora memorial celebration, they don't right. physically have. They're and not slaughtering the we have, we have evidence. It's sacrifice.
1: We have evidence that the Passover sacrifice, after they came into the land, right? Because the first, the first Passover was, was uh, eaten and sacrificed, um, obviously, in Egypt, right? They come out, they get the Torah, and they're a wicked generation, and they don't celebrate Passover for 40 years. Joshua circumcised the circumcises the males. By now what has happened? The tabernacle is erected. You're only allowed to do sacrifice in the tabernacle. He circumcises the males when they when they're crossing over into the into the land. And boom, now we're celebrating uh pa- Passover in the land, first of all, but second of all, the sacrifice is done where? Not in your home. It's done in the tent of meeting. And as soon as the temple is built, we have a record now granted. It's only one source and how widespread it was, and whether or not it's telling a a fully true story. Who knows? It's not canon. But the book of Jubilees says that people would come and uh, sacrifice their, their, uh, their Passover sacrifices in the temple, and no one would leave the temple complex. They stayed in the temple complex all night long until they ate all of their sacrifice. Now, that obviously changed, and we have good reason why it changed into the first century, because Jerusalem was not big enough to hold all the people who came into it this is why they declared all of, all of Jerusalem, everything within the city walls, to be a clean space. You had to be ritually clean to get into Jerusalem during this time. So he goes on then. So the, the, the idea that um, we're taking the sacrifice back to our home. No, you didn't come and sacrifice the, the, the Passover sacrifice and then take it up to Haifa to eat with your right. family that right. night. That didn't happen. In addition, uh, it's, uh, uh, he, he goes on, the Passover is, in fact, a sacrificial meal adopted in the home. As the earthly temple reflects the heavenly, so to the house that does the Passover reflects the earthly temple. Says who? No. I don't see this anywhere in Scripture. This person is making up their own holocaust and trying to put it on other believers. And then he's going to quote Ezekiel 44. In addition to all your, your other detestable practices, You brought foreigners uncircumcised in heart and in flesh into my sanctuary, not into your home, desecrating my temple while you offered me food, fat and blood, and you broke my covenant instead of carrying out your duty in regard to my holy things. You put others in charge of my sanctuary. This is what the sovereign Lord says. No foreigner uncircumcised in heart and flesh is to enter my sanctuary, not even the foreigners who live among the Israelites. Once again, we're talking about entering the temple. We're talking about the, right. the sacrifice,
0: and so we're, we're we are in agreement with the scriptures that says no one circumcised, and that means someone from an Ezra, right, a dated born, <laughs> or a ger. The same law applies. It doesn't matter if you're Jewish or non-Jewish. You're not eating a pe- the the korban Pesach unless you're circumcised, right? I mean, right. That, that's that. There's we never suggested that that. Torah commandment has somehow been done away. No one's suggesting that. So I don't know if maybe this guy misheard and thought that we were saying, "Oh, that doesn't matter." Um, no, but the but point if you, is, but we, if we are building. Oh, go ahead.
1: If you're going to, if you're going to say that we need to eat the Passover sacrifice, circumcised, which I agree with. If you're going to eat the Passover sac- sacrifice, you have to be circumcised. But clearly within the Torah. What happens? You have in the Torah, you have people sacrificing anywhere, right? And right. God's okay with it. And then God makes a change in, in with the Torah. He says, "Now you're not allowed to, to make burnt offerings anywhere you want to. Right, right. You can slaughter meat anywhere you want to. But from now on, if you're going to make a sacrifice, you have to do it in in the in, the, in the tent of meeting well, and the laws of,
0: of of the the laws of purity that apply. To the temple, and then the holiness that is being uh, upheld in the temple, with the uh, the the offer of, or the altar and all the all the, the cycles, the the ashes of the red heifer, all the things pertaining to the cleansing uh, and the holiness of the of the temple, does not apply to the home. Right. It yeah. Exactly. We don't. We don't have, that. It just does not. Otherwise, people could offer sacrifices in their own home because it's just as holy. They could say, well, you know, my house is holy just like the the, uh, Beit MacDosh. Right. And it's it's not that way. And so I understand that there is a stream in Pharisaical thought that wanted to preserve some—wanted to circumscribe the home, a physical space, to have some sort of holiness— that kept it separate from the other. And this is where the idea of koinos impurity, I think emerges in the second temple period, which is an artificial category. It's not a Torah category. It's a, it's a more recent innovation to separate people from people. <clears throat> Jews can separate from Jews based right. on koinos. Jews can separate from Gentiles koinos, and they, unless you wash your hands the right way, unless there's a certain amount of oversight. You're not even allowed into this space to participate in this meal. And that was, Jacob Neuston wrote about this, basically, I think, you know, was one of the scholars saying, look, the Pharisees innovated, this was an innovation <clears throat> to try to match the home after the priesthood. And it rose largely, maybe in the late second temple period. And then after the destruction of the temple, it kind of became a replacement, um, Kind of a supersessionist uh, inside of Jewish world, of course, and it's not something you want to build halakha on, in my view. And it sounds like this particular uh, listener takes it as, like, law. Um, okay, that's, so, go so, ahead.
1: So, well, th- this comment here, uh, I, I, he goes on here, and I, and and this shows, uh, this ties in a little bit to what you're saying. Uh, you know, he's he's bringing up he's bringing up law that is not. Is, is not found the in the Ezra, Torah. The
0: Ezra passage is something I hope we can get to. I think it's important. I know we're getting far on time, but...
1: Okay, he said, uh, uh, I just want to make this point, and then you can go back to Ezra.
0: Are, are you talking about Ezekiel? No, he quotes Ezra 10 in there. Okay. Ezra chapter 10 about the wives. Because remember, right. we were okay, talking okay, about okay, it, okay, like the yeah, believer I, brings their unbelieving spouse. Okay, hang so on just a sec. So he cites Ezra.
1: So, so he says, mm-hmm. I could care less if a couple fights over or is divided over this what are we here for is our highest duty in this world to pacify egos and coddle marriages this tells me uh, it's a suspicion i don't know this i am su- i think this this shows that this person might not be married
0: or is no longer married or is no know. longer
1: married i don't know i don't, I don't know, know either but you know what no the 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 marriage of two people is sanctioned by God, and it is very important. Divorce is of Satan. Divorce two, is something The two shall become one. That's right. right. And and uh, whether you and Paul talks about this, whether you have a believing spouse and an unbelieving spouse, uh, we try to bring peace into the home through faith in the Messiah Yeshua. We don't try to tear marriages apart. The reason why is because marriage is extremely important. It's God sanctioned. So this comment just shows it reeks of of ego on on this you person's part. Here, here's,
0: here's a similar thing, Dave, <laughs> if I may. The the tradition, Pharisaic tradition, that allowed, and this this is preserved even in the in the later Rabbinics, that a vow becomes valid upon its utterance and obligatory, is problematic because this is what Yeshua addresses in in like Mark seven, Matthew fifteen. Because according to rabbinic thought, and presumably it fits with what the Pharisees were doing, if if I had, let's say I had an, uh, an animal, like an ox, uh, that I wanted to offer, and it was a, or or an animal, I could say this is a korban. I could just utter that, and then instantaneously in the in the Pharisaic thought, that now belongs to God, and it's irreversible. Now, if my parents were having financial trouble and the value of that ox now, I can't go sell that and help my parents with the value of that because I've already declared it to be a Corban. And so it's like, well, sorry, Mom and Dad, I can't help you because I verbally expressed a vow. Right. Or I took a, a – I declared – I made a declaration that is that – is that God says is now I'm obligated to. And Yeshua's like, no, you can't no. You can't take a tradition and put it over the over the commandment. You're 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 changing things up here. You're making null you're nullifying the word of God by your tradition. <clears throat> so in the same way, it seems like this guy is saying a family can be broken up by a tradition of man. Right, that you can that you can use and make it sound godly. Well, right. it's it's godliness here, and I can divide up this family. And the quote, I think the the person quotes like Yeshua saying, "I'm going to bring a sword." Right, right? Matthew I'm ten divide, and he, he's like he's applying Yeshua's statements of of the division that Yeshua brings. Why does Yeshua bring division? Because of faith in him, not because he's <laughs> not because he's. Uh, Bringing a tradition of man into a family and insisting on uh, breaking relationship over a tradition of man—that's that's the opposite of what Yeshua is doing.
1: Right. So he goes um, on. He 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 talks about how uh, now the the Passover sacrifice shouldn't be taken lightly. Um, All sorts. I I agree with that. I I agree, too. Um, He says that uh, if we put our disobedient and rebellious marriage partners ahead of Hashem, then we make our spouses the masters and put Hashem under their feet. Um, And then he says, and this is where we get to Ezra 10, if it was pleasing to Hashem for the men of Israel to cast their wives away in order to serve God and the people in their return to holiness, why is it so difficult or too much to ask the, to symbolically separate for Passover. And then he quotes Ezra 10. Now, let us make a covenant before our God to send away all these women and their children in a- accordance with the counsel of my Lord and of those who fear the co- commands of our God. Let it be done according to the law.
0: Yeah, so he's quoting from Ezra 10 here. And go. And I was like, <laughs> oh, golly. he. Okay, so the what he's, what I'm hearing him say is, well... Look what happens in Ezra, in Tanakh. They, they have mixed marriages and they, they say we need to separate our families because we have these wives that we've taken and we need to cut a, a new covenant with God. They don't use the word new, but it's, it's cut a covenant with God and it's, you know, it's one that hadn't been made. And then they take oaths that they're going to do this, right? And so they, they go and uh, separate all these women. Okay. And so he's saying, if that was pleasing to God, then why wouldn't, why wouldn't it be pleasing, uh, for the Passover for the, for a believing spouse to say to his unbelieving partner, sorry, you can't join. Um, because we're upholding some holiness of the location and of the meal. And I, I want to just say, you know, I don't read that anyway close to the way, uh, this person reads it. First of all, the book of Ezra is, is interesting. We could talk a lot about it uh, on its own right, but it's the last chapter of Ezra, right? Chapter 10. And it never says that the Lord was pleased with this act. Right. Not only that, in Ezra 6, they had already celebrated the Passover before Ezra got there. The priests, the people, and it said they had joy. They they kept the Passover and it says the Lord gave them joy. The Lord gave, uh, made them glad. Right. And the Lord had turned away the enemy. Okay, so they had already celebrated what the Scripture says uh, was acceptable. We ha- we there's there's verses in there that say, "Wow, this it seems like the what the the story here is telling us." The scripture is telling us is that God was pleased with this Passover celebration, chapter six. Then you get to chapter ten, and we never hear that the Lord is pleased with this sending away. But that's only one of the problems. Another of the problem is that the the verb that you see in your translations of married wives, it's not the word to take a wife or to marry a wife. Right. It's it's the lehoshiv, It's a hifil of of shav. And it's taken to mean they were living with, living with women, Nashim, which doesn't have to mean wife, right? And so we don't know now, A, there could be a dialect because this is Second Temple Hebrew now, and maybe, you know, because Ezra is the early Second Temple period. Maybe it's a it could mean Mary, but not necessarily. That's one thing. Another, here's another piece that makes it suspicious, aside from the fact that it never tells us that God was pleased with what they did. But it's the end of Ezra. We never hear any more of Ezra. Yeah, done. It's almost like, is, is his, was this his downfall? But here's the thing to notice, is where does Ezra get this idea? If you look in Ezra uh, chapter 10, this is the last, verse of, or last chapter of Ezra, right? They're, they're praying. He's, he's feeling uh, the weight of the sin of the generations, etc., there's weeping, and then it says in 10 verse 2 that this person, uh, Shechaniah or Shechaniah the son of Yehiel, one of the sons of Elam, said to Ezra, so he's an Israelite. He's not a priest. We know he's not a, a Levite or a priest because, uh, because of later in chapter 10. We know he's just from Israel. He says to Ezra, we have been unfaithful to our God and have, now the NASB says, married foreign women, but it's really we have given we have uh, resided with or something from the peoples of the land. And, but yet there is hope for Israel in spite of this. So now let us make a covenant to our God. Let literally Let us cut a Brit, a covenant with our God to, to send away these women and their children according to the counsel of my Lord and those who tremble at the commandment of God and let it be done according to the Torah. Arise, this is on you. This is this is upon you. That's what this guy, Shechaniah, says to Ezra. Be courageous and act. Then Ezra gets up and basically does what this guy told him. Well, guess what? Ezra never... <laughs> it, we don't know. Like, why did this guy come out of the blue and tell Ezra to do this? Well, right. guess what? If you go on to, what verse is it, 26? See, the Shechaniah guy, he he didn't have any consequence. But his father, Hiel, Abdi, uh, Yeremoth and Elia, uh, Elia. Shechaniah's father and five uncles, they told that he actually did it, so, it, so that he actually had to send any, any woman away. Because we have the whole listing here of Ezra 10 of who had to send uh, people away. He suggests it. So here's a question. A, so there's enough problems with this to, to, say, uh, to, to, to say that this is not a good scripture to, to bring into the discussion, that, right. that this, this uh, email note we received is. We're never told that God was pleased with this. It's the end of Ezra's career. It's just like nothing, cricket sounds after this which right. makes me think that God was not pleased with, with this situation. And not only that, the book of Ezra itself in chapter 6, before any of the separ- uh, supposed needed required separation happened, they had, the people had celebrated a Passover that the Lord was pleased with. So there's big problems with bringing Ezra as a, uh, a building block for the particular argument that he's saying is that we, by the basis of Ezra, we should be able to recognize that a believing spouse needs to separate from his unbelieving spouse. So he can, or he or she can celebrate Pesach. Um, not a, not a good argument, uh, at all. Yeah,
1: I completely agree with you. Um, my apologies to everyone for the, uh, for the, the stream, uh, breaking here. It looks like we're having some, Uh, streaming problems. But I hope that, uh, nonetheless, Rob's uh, treatment of this passage of Ezra 10 has at least come through enough that people can understand what what he's saying and what we're saying about this text. Um, Anyway, to Moshe, who wrote this, um, I'm sorry, sir, but uh, this is just a total fail um, in in, uh, perspective. Uh, This is certainly putting man's tradition above God's tradition, um, and that is, yeah, I I think that there is major problems with that. I think I think Paul's we,
0: do, we we don't have a holy space, right? We do we don't have a holy space in our homes. Our hearts are the holy now, space. Exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. Sanctify the Lord in your heart. Right. That's that's important. But we can't mark a physical space and call it this is temple like and then somehow have a bunch of rules and procedures to maintain that holiness. That that's only for the for the Beit Micahosh in Jerusalem. That and right. that is under very specific um terms right. that which are spelled out very clearly in in scripture.
1: Okay. Well, I hope that this has been an interesting conversation for people and that you've gleaned something for, from it. Uh certainly don't forget to uh to visit I'm freezing up here. Messianic Radio, Chava Messianic Radio. Go to messianicradio.com. Make sure to download their app and, and, uh, and uh, enjoy Messianic music all the time. Uh, TorahResource.com. Uh, we hope that you're utilizing the, uh, the articles and everything that we have there uh, for the Passover season. We love comments and we love emails. 253-465-3205. It's 253 And finally, send us emails chegg at TorahResource.com That's C-H-E-G-G at TorahResource.com And uh, yeah, we hope that you have a wonderful rest of your um, Passover and that uh, this time is a time to turn your heart and your mind towards one thing, and that is our great God and Savior Yeshua the Messiah. Because why? Because Messiah Matters.